Our scripture reader reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, that's found in your pew Bible on 1015. 1015. It is reportedly common that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is as is not so much is named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend uh, to each of you. Hope that it's a blessed time and hope that we do pause and remember the things that we ought to remember and be thankful for them. It's easy for us to take things for granted in life that we should never take for granted. For those of you that weathered the rain coming in this morning, it's good to be inside and in the dry. Uh, what a blessing it is. God gives us a lot of good things that it's easy to take them for granted. And, and we're thankful for this place to worship. But especially as we think today, all day long, we're thankful for the church family. God gives us a family and along with the family comes responsibility. And it's our responsibility to take care of the family. If you're a guest this morning and you come this morning and tonight, it very well may be that you're surprised at some of the things that we talk about. The church really is different from the world. And as we study today, we will see that the teachings and the expectations that God places upon the world, upon the church is so, so very different. And so we understand that some of the things we'll talk about today are not politically correct, but our intention is to be a part of that church that we read about in the New Testament. We follow the New Testament. We believe it to be the, the, the word of God. We strive to follow it literally and fully and its final authority in our life. And so as we study today, if that intrigues you and you have further questions, we'd love to sit down and we'd love to study with you. Before we go into our study of 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, I'd like to remind you of a few really good things that 12questions.net is off to a great start. Questions are being submitted. We're going to encourage everybody to have people in the community to submit questions. 
And uh, it's your responsibility to get at least three or four people from the community to submit a question. And if you'll do that, we'll have three to 4,000 questions in just a matter of a few weeks. So please take on that challenge. It's your responsibility. Uh, there's wristbands, there's bumper stickers, there's cards that you can leave at restaurants or give to friends or coworkers. Uh, but it's real simple. If people had the opportunity to ask God one question, what would they ask him? Go to the website and submit that question. Also, if you're a college graduate this year or you have one in your family that's part of the Mount Juliet congregation, please, by Thursday at 10 o'clock, submit to us a photo of them, where they're graduating from, what they degree they graduated with, and what their plans are in the future. And we'd like to make that known to the church family next Sunday. Also, keep in mind that Coming up is camp, and then right behind that, a couple of weeks, is the Teen VBS, which will be on the 16th through the 19th of June. And then uh, the week after that, we will have our children's VBS. Now, please make note of that. The two VBSs will not be the same week as they normally are. And so it is already time to register for the children's VBS. That's June the 23rd through the 26th. It's three-year-old through fifth grade. And so if you will, go ahead and go online and register for that. And great plans are being made already for the month of June with Kemp and the two VBSs. And uh, then right behind that will be our huge campaign where we'll door knock uh, most of the doors in Mount Juliet, probably anywhere from 10 to 14,000 doors. And, uh, and, and we'll do our best to let people know uh, that God loves them and that they can turn to him for salvation. Come as you are. How many marquees have we seen that on in the last 15 years? Church after church, come as you are. I'll be honest with you, from the first time I read that, to even today, I'm just as confused as I've ever been. I'm not trying to be silly, obnoxious. I'm just saying to you, I don't understand that at all. Do we expect people to come in and put on a costume and come as George Washington? Come as, well, I don't get it. Come as you are. Is it referring to casual dress? I don't know. It'd be strange to think that that's what's on marquees all across America. Come as you are, it's casual dress. Or is it saying, no matter what sin you participate in your life, we accept it. Come as you are. No need to change any sinful relationships, any sinful behavior, any sinful conduct. Come as you are. Again, I just say to you, I feel really ignorant because everybody else seems real comfortable with that and I don't have a clue what it means. But if it does mean the idea of we will accept you no matter what, I think that that might have been a part of what was happening in Corinth. First Corinthians was written as a result of problems. And we're going through this study and what we're seeking to do is to realize that in this life and on this earth, we are going to have a life that is full of problems. But what we want to find is godly solutions. And so Paul deals with a group that seem to very much have the attitude to say, come as you are, meaning whatever behavior you have, whether it's righteous or sinful, we welcome you. We want you to be a part of us. 
we're not talking about guests popping in on a Sunday. We're talking about people who are a part of the body of Christ. They claim to be faithful members of the Lord's church. And there was a problem there. As a matter of fact, if you'll go back to verse one, let's see the problem that's being addressed. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife, exclamation mark. What's happening here? We see that sexual immorality is happening here. There's a man who has a sexual relationship with his stepmother. The Bible doesn't give us the details. Has the father and, and the mother divorced? The Bible doesn't give us the details. We just know that it's his father's wife. And so a second thing that we see is the sin that's taking place here in this sexually immoral situation is not something that is unknown. You know, it does happen from time to time that, that a sin is uncovered and the people around, in other words, the congregation can honestly say, I had no idea. How many times have we seen situations in life where we say, I've known that person for years and I had no idea that they lived that kind of life or that they were tied up in that kind of activity. Well, that's not the situation here. There's an immoral situation and it was being reported. It was known. And then also we see a third thing about the problem. The problem was that this sin was not shocking the church at all. In other words, the church was embracing this situation. Please note this. The challenge of the church from the very beginning has always been, as we come into the church, we're sinners. How is it that we create a culture in the church of righteousness without embracing sin? In other words, we embrace sinners who have repented of their ways without embracing sin. You see, even though Paul doesn't use these words, it's almost like he says, see where he says that it's not even reported among the Gentiles? In other words, what he's saying here is, church, you're not shocked by this sin, but the world would be. That's what he's saying in other words there. That's why there's that exclamation point at the end of this. Paul's kind of throwing up his hands and he's saying, it's reported. Remember 1 Corinthians, the first chapter in verse 11, he's received this report from Chloe's household. And so he writes this book to give them solutions to the problems. And so what's the problem? The problem is it's happening. The problem is everybody knows about it. And the problem is the only people shocked in this situation would be the heathens. There's a problem with that. But now this may kind of surprise you a little bit. That's not really what we're studying today. That is a part of the problem. But if you look at the rest of the chapter, the rest of the chapter, he doesn't talk specifically about sexual immorality. Instead, the rest of the chapter, and let's just pause here for a moment. I want you to read through with me. And I want you as you read this to see who is being addressed. In other words, we have the sexually immoral man and then his, his, the, his lady in his life, the woman in his life, and apparently she wasn't a member. There's never any, any reference to her being a member, but apparently he was. And then we have the church family. And I want you to note 
Who is being addressed the rest of the time? Which people are being addressed? Look at verse one again. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Let's go now to the, the fourth verse. Skip down and go to the next slide. Look in verse four. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I should have. Back, back up one slide, if you will. Look at the end of verse two. Uh, he talks about that you're puffed up, you should have been mourning. And then he says that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, when he, when he went into verse two there, he didn't say, now let me talk to you, the man that's sexually immoral. He doesn't. He immediately starts talking to the church. Look as we go in three, four, and five. Look at verse four. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, he's talking to the church. Look at the end of verse six. Your glorying is not good. Your glorying is talking about the church. The church's glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? The little leaven is referring to the sin, this situation with this man. The whole lump is referring to the church there. Look at verse seven. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. The new lump is talking about the church again. Look at verse eight. Therefore, let us keep the feast of the old leaven. And the us there is talking about the church that's going to be a part of this new leaven, this, this new uh, lump that, that is going to live this life of purity. In other words, I just scanned those verses for you to see this. If we're going to deal very honestly with the text, What's being addressed here is not the specifics of sexual immorality. That will be addressed much more specific at the end of the sixth chapter and a little bit in the seventh chapter. What he's going to address in this chapter is he's going to say, church, how are you going to handle it when sin creeps in among you? Well, Let's handle it like any good Western people would handle it. And by that, I mean that in our Western culture, we are firmly set upon the idea of individualism. You want to ruffle the feathers real quick of any good mom and dad? Let their child be in a class where the whole class gets punished when one student does something wrong. Oh, not in Western part of the world. You can get by with that still in the East, the Eastern part of the world, but not in the Western part of the world because we bought in hook, line, and sinker. I'm an individual. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want and nobody else can tell me what to do. It's my body and it has no impact and no effect or influence on anybody else. I'll do it the way I want to do it. And listen, it just won't fly. It won't fly in scriptures. It won't fly in common sense. And so what we are going to go over today is going to really be a challenge for us and at least some of us in two different ways. One is the very idea of sexual immorality being a problem. Statistics say that more than not, in other words, today, the majority of millennials, so that's in the young 30s all the way down, the majority of millennials see nothing wrong with cohabitation. So the very idea of saying that that relationship is sexually immoral immediately just shoots off fireworks of concern. You can't say that that's wrong. But then second to that is also the idea that says your life impacts others. And then flipping that card over, you have a responsibility to others by the way you live your life. 
Many of us remember a day and time where families regular, regularly spoke about the fact that you are a part of this family. You conduct yourself in a certain way because you are part of this family. Well, see, that's back in the days where we still believed that there was a corporate responsibility in our lives. Let me read for you a few quotes. And these are quotes from men, so you can take or leave them. All I'm trying to do is just raise the awareness for just a moment of how much we struggle with this, and then we'll go right back to Scripture. I was reading a couple of weeks ago uh, about an entirely different subject, but I was reading from, from the, the book, Hard Sayings of the Bible. And it's written by four scholars. One of them you might recognize, F.F. F. Bruce. And, and in the particular passage that I was reading, I was reading about children suffering negative consequences from parents. Is that fair? Why would God allow that to happen? And so naturally, that's a hard biblical question to address. And I thought it was interesting that as they laid out four or five pages addressing that, here was just a couple of the sentences, which, by the way, I could set this up for you this way. We're going to stand individually before God on the day of judgment. Ezekiel 18 to 20, the, the son is not going to inherit the sins of the father. Also, when God gave law under the old covenant and he was dealing with civil law for Israel, the child would answer only for the child's unlawful doings and the father only for the father's. Now, we're real comfortable with that in the Western world. But then there's this third point. And the third point is that we naturally have a corporate responsibility to each other. And that's what we struggle with in America today. And so here's how he addresses it. He says, the notion is difficult for Westerners to appreciate since we place such a high premium on the individual. But scripture warns us that there is such a thing as corporate responsibility. None of us functions in complete isolation from the society and neighborhood to which we are attached. Lines of affinity reach beyond our home and church groups to whole communities and eventually to our nation and the world in which we live. We're not going to take the time to study this in depth right now, but if you want to just go back and rehearse this in your mind so that you can see and try to grasp the biblical approach to this, go back and read in Judges the seventh chapter. And I'll give you just a quick reminder. Remember the sixth chapter is where the children of Israel conquered Jericho. And remember, they didn't have a soldier to die. This huge, powerful city. Remember the walls fell. It's very unique. Why? It's because God gave them the victory. But you remember when the very next chapter, when they go in to fight Ai, such a small place, they decide not to send all of their people. And they, they send enough to conquer it, but a smaller gathering of their soldiers. And they go up and immediately 36 of their men are killed. Now don't just hear that as some kind of random biblical fact. If your dad was a soldier and he just happened to be one of those 36, you received word back after that day that your father's dead. Or you received word back that your son died in battle today. Well, you can imagine Israel went into grieving. And you know what the Lord says to Joshua at that time? Verse 10, the seventh chapter of Joshua. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel, Israel has sinned 
And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Do you remember what happened here? You know who sinned when it says Israel had sinned? One man named Achan. God told them what to do with the spoils and he saw the expensive garment, he saw the silver and he coveted. He took the things that God said not to take and he took them back to his tent and he buried them. And what did God do? Whenever they went to their next location of battle, which was Ai, God simply said, I won't protect you. I protected you and I gave you the victory against Jericho. All I'll do now is I'll just sit back and watch you. You want to bring sin into your camp? Do it on your own. Well, immediately they realize as lives are being lost, something is wrong in Israel. And God says, you better believe something's wrong in Israel. You have sin in the camp, Israel. And you know what we would say in Western America today? You already know what I'm going to say. We would throw our fist up at God and we would say, you can't punish all of us. It's only aching. And it's because we don't get it. We have a huge responsibility to others. You and I do not go out and live like a heathen Monday through Saturday and it not have any effect on the people sitting around you right now. Please believe that. You do not go out and mistreat your family and it has no effect on your spiritual family. You don't go out and do dirty dealings in the community and it has no effect upon us. What you do and who you are directly affects the people sitting in this room. And that's what 1 Corinthians 5 is about. You have a responsibility to us. Collectively, we are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ cannot invite sin to exist among her. And so 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, is a passage to say, oh, the problem isn't just sexual immorality. He says the problem is how the church is dealing with it. I'll give you one more quote and we'll move on. N.T. Wright in Simply Christianity, Simply Christian says, according to the early Christians, the church doesn't exist in order to provide a place where people can pursue their private spiritual agendas and develop their own spiritual potential. You know, if you listen to a lot of Christians talk today, you would think that, that Christ died only for them and that they are more important than Christ. Please realize that we are a part of something that is far, far more important than any of us individually. The church, if you could put it in a balance, the church is far more important than you individually. You contribute to something who's far more important. Jesus Christ who died for you is far more important. You have the opportunity to serve Christ. You have the opportunity to be a part of the church. But we reverse that in the Western civilization because we're the most important. It's all about me, it's the individual. The Lord died only for me and I am the most important. And we miss it completely. And that's what N.T. Wright is, is probably trying to get at here. He says, nor does it exist in order to provide a safe haven in which people can hide 
from the wicked world and ensure that they themselves arrive safely at an otherworldly destination. Private spiritual growth and ultimate salvation come rather as the byproducts of the main central overarching purpose for which God has called and is calling us. We must work together as well as apart. So what's being addressed here? On this next slide, I only put this back up to remind you of verse one. Verse one was where he says, we've got a problem here. There's sexual immorality. It's happening. It's being reported and you're accepting it instead of ashamed of it. Now let's go to verse two and notice the culture that has been created as a result of this. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. The rest of this chapter is about what kind of culture are you going to allow to develop and grow within a church family? And notice what he says immediately in verse two, the culture is this, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. In other words, sin is supposed to move us to the point of sadness and sorrow. Why? Because it separates us from God for an eternity. This church family ought to looked at that man and the woman that he's having a relationship with and their hearts should have broken because they should be saying to themselves, they're gonna spend eternity in hell. That is a sad situation. But instead they had no mourning. They had no sorrow. Why do they not have any sorrow? Well, he says it very clearly. You're puffed up. Now that's interesting. Seven times in the New Testament, the word puffed up is used. Now you ready for this? You think there's not a problem? Six of those times, it's in 1 Corinthians. Let that sink in. Puffed up is used seven times in the entire New Testament. Six of the times are in 1 Corinthians. What is he saying over and over to the people of Corinth? He's saying you're having a problem with arrogance. You know, the, the puff fish is a fish that, that to humans, their poison is 1,200 times more poisonous than cyanide. The chemical release that they have causes other fish to not, want, have, to not have anything to do with them. And, and so we look and say, well, what does the word puffed up mean as it's used here? Literally, it means to inflate. You know what it is to have a balloon lying in the palm of your hand. Your hand is larger than the balloon. And then what do you do? You puff it up. You inflate it. And what happens? Now the balloon is many times, many times larger than your hand. What happens when someone is puffed up? They are who they are, but they believe that they are many times smarter, more powerful, better than what they actually are. You may know this and say, well, that's common sense. But if not, I'll just remind you, that's where the idea of big head comes from. In knowledge you think you know so much more, your thinking has been inflated about yourself and even about other things. Someone who's big head thinks they really know all this about all that. And the reality is, it's inflated. They're actually smaller than the palm of your hand, but they think they're many, many times bigger than that. So how does it work in scripture? We don't have time to develop all this. This could be a lesson within itself, but I think it's very important for us to at least get two different passages in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, 
that deals with this so that we can understand and appreciate it maybe a little better. So let's back up in our scriptures and I invite you back to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. You're there at the fifth chapter. Just look back a chapter. And this is one of the times where he uses the word puffed up. And if you'll notice back up in verse two and three and four, he's talked with them about the fact that he's not real concerned about standing before them on the day of judgment or before a human court on the day of judgment or even before himself. In other words, he says, none of those things are going to judge me. And he says, the Lord is going to judge me. And then coming out of that mindset, he then says this just a few verses later. Look at 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Now these things, brethren, have figuratively transformed to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. What is this arrogance? It's an arrogance that leads us to believe Oh, I know what God has said, but listen, it's 2014 in the western part of the world in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Trust me, I know better how to handle this situation than what God has said. Now, I don't know if any of you would be quickly, quick to say it that bluntly. But any time we go beyond what God has said, actually that's what we're saying in our actions. I know better than God about what to do. Now can you imagine anybody really thinking that? And Paul says, listen, the problems that I'm addressing with you over and over, I'm addressing because you're puffed up. You remember back a couple of weeks ago, we spent quite a bit of time in the first through the fourth chapter of 1 Corinthians. You remember there were divisions taking place, why? Well, he says right here, part of the reason, see the end of, of uh, the, the verse, see the end of verse six there, where he says that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. In other words, the reason you're having divisions is because of your arrogance. And that arrogance is causing you to go beyond what is written and it causes division. How can we all be united? You remember we covered that a few weeks ago. The way we're all united is we unite with Jesus Christ. How can we be divided? You leave Jesus Christ and now we can't decide who you unite with. Is everybody going to believe what I think or is everybody going to believe what you think? And we can't agree upon that. Now, with that in mind, turn over to the eighth chapter. In the eighth chapter, we see this teaching again about being puffed up. And it's an unusual situation. I'll quickly say to you a setting and then later on we can spend more time on this perhaps. There was meat that they were buying apparently in the marketplace, but that meat started out in its origin being offered to, on an altar to an idol. The mature Christians would come to the marketplace apparently and they would buy that meat and they were fine with it. A young immature Christian would say, where did that meat come from? Oh, this is the leftover meat we offered to an idol earlier this morning. And that immature Christian would say, well, I can't do that. I feel like I'm worshiping an idol if I do that. God comes down through Paul and he gives them clarification. He says, listen, you're free to eat that meat. But then he takes that clarification to this point. But if you as a mature individual eating that meat causes the younger individual spiritually to stumble, don't eat the meat. Now, look with me, if you will, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 8, chapter and verse 1. Now, concerning the things offered to idols, we know that we are all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You remember the most common definition of edification? Builds up. 
See what he's saying there? If you're going to operate on knowledge without love, it puffs up. It's arrogance. If you operate with knowledge and love together, it builds people up. When you look at who is a blessing to your life, to this church family, it's always going to be someone who knows how to take the right actions, mindset, doctrine, the right knowledge, and couple it with love. This is the way he says it in the next two verses. Notice this in verse two and three. If anyone thinks that he knows, see now we're back to knowledge, he thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. In other words, he knows it, but not as he ought to know. Well, how should he know it? It's gotta be coupled with love. Look at verse three. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now please note, where and to whom that love is extended. He didn't say you need to have this knowledge and you need to love others, even though we do need to love others. He starts with the first greatest commandment. He says, do you love God? If you love God, that has to permeate all through the knowledge. You see in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the problem of them accepting that individual was not because the love of God had convicted them to do so. They had a knowledge, but it was a puffed up, arrogant knowledge without fully saying, I am devoted to God, period. What would God want me to do? What would God want me to say? How would God want me to say this and et cetera? And so we see the culture addressed there. You see verse two is what we've been studying. Look at verse six there. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You see what had happened here? It wasn't just the fact that that couple had come in and they had quietly gone about their business and the church had just decided to pretend like they didn't know it existed, even though it was being reported and they would just kind of all act like nobody really knew it. That's possible, but that's not what, what is happening here. You see, what's happening here is Paul saying, you're bragging about it. Now, let me go back and say, even just ignoring it wouldn't be right. But I'm just saying to study this text and be fair with the text, their problem was not only that they accepted it, their problem was that they were bragging about it. Look who we love. Look who we accept. Look how we just welcome and, and hold this brother in. And Paul writes and says, the only reason you would do that is you're puffed up on your own knowledge. If you would stop and learn the knowledge of God, love God first, priority system here, you would not be accepting this individual in the way that you're accepting them. Tonight, we'll see what God expected of them in their interaction with this man. And then we'll ask a very important question. Is there a different way that God expects us to interact with people in the world? In other words, if someone is actively sexually immoral, that is our brother in Christ that's here, and I go to work on Monday with someone else who is actively sexually immoral, who is of the world, does God expect me to have the same responsibility to both? You might 
find it interesting? The answer is no. But let's come back tonight and let's study it from God's word to see what it is. Now, you'll notice there at the end of verse six, he talks about a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. And we'll, we'll pick up there tonight. But what did I learn today? Accepting people while they live in sin is arrogant. Accepting people living in sin is only the beginning. The next thing is that the sin will be accepted. And we'll see that more tonight from that principle of the leaven and the lump. So therefore, we must be concerned with who is among us. Brethren, I know that flies all over Western culture. And Christianity has never been at home in the world. That's the kind of decisions we have to make. Am I really willing to become a part of something that's more important than me? In other words, I'll surrender my will to God's will. It's worth it. There's nobody that loves us the way God loves us. But there's also no one who asks more of us than God asks. And this morning, if you're ready to make a life commitment to deny self, to deny it all, and lay yourself down in submission at the foot of the cross. If you're ready for that big commitment, we'd love to rejoice with you and help you in any way that we can. If you're a believer, we'll repent before men and confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ. We would love to see you do that this morning. We'd love to assist you with it. Maybe you've become a Christian and along the way you've started looking a little bit more like the world and a little bit less like the church. This morning, the church is supposed to be a holy, sanctified group of people. Perfect? No. But they are to be people who has repented. And this morning, if you need to repent and come back to living that holy life, we'd love to assist you with that. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we